I'll go get it. I'm Roberta Walker. I'm Michael Glassman. The first thing we'd like to do is uh, what we love to do. We love to talk about ourselves. So, <laughs> But we're going to tell you a little bit about our background. And honestly, it's only going to go two minutes. I'm timing it. Ready? Right. Go. Okay. Okay, let me, I'll okay. interview you. Okay. Roberta, tell me what inspires you and how did you get into this field? Okay, Michael, let me tell you. So I've been doing landscape design for about 25 years, but before landscape design, it was art. I taught art, I did art, I sold my art, and nearly starved doing art. And um, so, so much of my landscape designing comes from an art background. I, I could visualize and, and see what I want to create, and it was an easy segue of changing my um, paints in for plants, and instead of a canvas, I have landscape. So over the years and over the jobs, um, you know, the plants pretty much have stayed the same. You know, there are new plants, but the materials and how we've changed with the times, the trends, the irrigation, the lighting, all this has been part of my life for the last 25 years. And I love, love, love the art of transformation. And when you transform a yard that that's just a yard. You know, you drive up, you see your grass as a driveway. And when you transform that into something with color and texture and a habitat for butterflies and birds, that's transformation. And it's also art. So my mission statement for my business is and has been to create beauty. I really feel that when we transform these spaces that are part of our home, we always think our, our square footage is just our house. It's not. It's the entire landscape, which could be sustainable. You could grow vegetables. You could have chickens. My goodness, you can have so much. But it seems like after the Second World War, we went to a more industrialized way of living in our landscapes. Instead of bringing forth fruit, it just was about you know, more utilitarian and, and mowing grass. So that's a little bit about me. And I've got two, one... I'm done. Okay. So, Michael, tell us a little bit about you. I came a little different direction for landscape architecture. Um, I started at UCLA as a political science and archaeology major and transferred up to Davis and got after seven majors and not knowing what I wanted to do, I found landscape architecture. And like Roberta had said, I found it a passion. Um, I found it was very transformative. And um, after graduating with a degree in landscape architecture, I started a business, a design-build business, where we actually would design the landscapes and then we would turn around and build them. And that was, I'm always looking for a kind of a different inspiration. Um, so I went to design school in Europe. Um, I actually studied in the south of France and got a certificate program. And that rocked my world. That actually changed everything that I did. Because going to Europe, Living in Europe, studying in Europe, and learning design in Europe is a very different different experience. Um, and so what I did was I gave up the, the build part of my business and strictly went into design. And um, what we found is, is that it really does, as Roberta was, says, was saying, it really changes your life. And one real quick story that I have to say, I was, I was talking about it the other day, is I one day thought, well, is it really significant? Do we really help people and do we really make a difference in people's lives? And what I found out was in 9-11, 
um, after everything went on in 9-11, I was supposed to meet clients and pull plants two days later. And I was in kind of a funk, as, as was everyone else. Everyone was very depressed and, and upset. And I went there thinking that we were going to go to the nursery. And I said to the people, I'm really sorry. I just feel like what I'm doing is so insignificant with what's going on in the world today. And they said, wait a minute, stop right there. And I said, well, what do you mean? And they said, you need to know you've changed our lives. In the design that you've come up with, with in the past, we didn't know our neighbors. We never did any entertaining in the backyard. And since we've changed our backyard, the neighbors all want to come over. We get together. And since 9-11, everyone's kind of huddled together. They come in the backyard. We have dinners together. We talk about it. We entertain. Everyone wants to come over. And what it's done is it's rebirthed the entire neighborhood. And they said, you've changed our lives. So never think that just because you're designing, that you're not making a significant contribution to people's lives and changing lives. And that meant a lot to me. And it made me realize that, yes, surrounding people with beauty, surrounding people with, the, with a colorful, beautiful, functional environment does change lives. Well, also look at it this way. I'm sure all of us have this to-do list. Sometimes this to-do list has been there for 15 years. Oh, you know. Well, it could be that you've driven up to your house and you live and you look at it and you think, oh, someday. Or you, you just, you just, nothing, you know, you, you just live with it. That kind of energy of just living with something versus driving up and seeing something beautiful and something you don't have to mow or pay someone to mow in 100-degree weather that's sustainable, that's beautiful, that whole energy is different. And here's the exciting thing. If you already own your house, you're halfway there. Right. Absolutely. And the, the thing is, you know, you, they're talking about global warming. They're talking about climate change. Every time we recommend plant a tree, plant shrubs, plant bushes, especially trees, those are giving, those are changing the environment for the better. So, I mean, and what Roberta said is right. I mean, I can tell you in my own place, I moved into a new house that needed major renovation and I started with the backyard and the front yard looked horrible, knowing that I was going to eventually landscape the front. But my neighbors knew what was going on, but I would drive up and every day I drive up, I wanted to hide in the garage because it looked like tobacco road. It just looked so terrible. And now I'm, I'm doing the front yard and I'm so proud because I drive up and instead of seeing weeds and dirt and a mess, it makes me feel I smile as opposed to hiding in the garage and trying to duck out of seeing my neighbors because all I wanted to say to my neighbors was, I'm so sorry. It, I'm sorry it looks that horrible. And that's the important thing is beauty and landscaping and the environment affects us. It invigorates us. It inspires us. Well, it changes our lives. We're, you know, we're connected to nature, but yes. you know, with our work a day, we get quite far from it. But Speaking of trees, I'm sure most of you know that you can get free trees from the Sacramento Tree Foundation. What you should know is most of them are little tiny five gallons. Right. So, but if you're willing to go the distance, we have clients that are elderly and they say, no, we, <laughs> we want to see the trees before we die. So, exactly. But again, there's a way to have or transform your landscape with whatever budget you have. So... The Sacramento Tree Foundation, there are tree-free trees. 
What we normally start with when we design are 15 gallon trees. 15 gallon trees are still skinny. They might be six, seven feet tall, but by two years, they're growing. I mean, by the, sec by the second year, they're doubling almost and they're getting bigger and bigger. And so it doesn't, you don't have to start with what a model home looks like. You know, they bring in all these full-grown plants, and then five years later, everything has to come out because they're all squishing together. So anyway, we were talking about why would you even hire a designer and taking it, plants out and putting them in, that's Exactly, and that's one of the things. Everyone is very concerned, concerned so are we, with cost. Um, how much does something cost? Um, and we know in today's world, property values are going up. Costs are going up. Um, nothing is going down. Everything is going up. And time is worth something. Aggravation, your time, your effort is worth something. So what we basically are saying is, why would you hire a professional? And I'll tell you exactly why. Because as a novice, if you don't know, the last thing you want to do is go to the nursery, pick a plant, that put it in the wrong place and watch it die or buy a tree that is in the wrong location, and once it starts growing, you realize, I planted the tree in the wrong spot. That, or I had clients that they pointed to a big fir tree, and they said, you know that, we bought that to be a bonsai. <laughs> so a lot of times when you're looking at the label of a plant, it, or even Sunset Magazine, it's very different when you plant it here in our location with our exposure what it does. You know, there's a beautiful plant, princess flower. I love it. But someone from Hawaii would say, oh my God, that's invasive. But hiring a landscape designer, not only can we recreate the space for you, but we know what plants go where. And we do everything to scale, which means every inch has exactly the amount of feet in your, in your uh, landscape. So if you want to do the design, you could calculate how much of what materials you need. And that's another important thing, because if you start putting things here and there, and then you trample over them to get to somewhere else, you're wasting money. So you save money, actually, by hiring a landscape right. designer. I think it's important that when you approach a project, you think of it as a problem solving. Every single one of you in your own homes have certain indigenous problems. Problems, whether it be privacy. You may go out into your backyard, and you have two-story homes looking in on you, and you feel like you're in a fishbowl. You may have drainage problems. It rains, and they haven't graded your, pro your property correctly. And so you look outside, and you've got a big mud puddle. I remember clients, and it, and it was really sad. They had bought a brand-new home, and they bought it, and it had a big spacious lawn area. And they also had two big dogs. Well, they never really checked to see what the drainage was like. So they bought the house. They moved in. It started to rain. The dogs went outside, and they sunk. They sunk. Well... That's some of the problems. You might also hate your neighbors. We, we can't do a whole lot, but we could certainly screen them out. Okay, right, so. exactly. So, I mean, problem solving is so important. And one of the things that you need to be in, aware of is, is that when you move into a house, whether it's an older house, whether it's a brand new house, you yourselves have to start looking and seeing what the problems are. Now, working with a professional, they may come in and say, did you know that your drainage is incorrect? Well, if let's say it's summertime, but if, if we come out, a designer, and we look at, I always look at the base of people's homes to see if there's water damage. Even if it's summertime, that's a clear indication that something's not working. 
And so, you know, we would address that as well. But um, most people, when you look at beautiful magazine pictures or you look at photos on Pinterest or House, it looks wonderful. But how do I do it? Where do you start? That's another reason. That's, you know, landscaping is a step-by-step -step process. And the very first step is to create the drawing. Which a master plan. A master plan, which is based on a conversation between you, the designer, your landscape, and whatever pets are living there as well, because they have a say. Right. And a lot of people will say, well, that's a lot of money for a piece of paper, a master plan. What I try to equate to people is what a master plan is, it's a roadmap. And, and I've said this several times, including earlier in my discussion, um, a roadmap to give you what steps, where do you go, what's the phases. And if you don't, it's like taking a trip in a car without any maps and without any navigation. Unless you have great sense of direction, which I don't, um, you get lost. And it's the same thing in your landscape. If you don't know what steps to go about, where you're going, you're going to get lost. You're going to spend a lot of money wasting a lot of time, a lot of aggravation, and a lot of effort, and getting lost in the interim. Well, and here's another aspect. I, he calls it a roadmap. I call it a treasure map. Very often I have clients tell me about what they want in their landscape, and they, they want this, and they want that, and they want this, and they say, what do you think that's going to cost? And then I'll give them a quote, and they think, oh, my God. But if you have a design, you could do it over time. You still have your treasure map. You just work at it according to your budget each year. Yes, there are steps. You're not going to just do one quarter of your yard. It's all done. No. You're going to grade everything. You're going to get your irrigation in. But then you're going to develop that in. But the others, when they're ready, everything is stubbed up for that. So a landscape plan, you could break it out over two years, five years, however long it gets. It takes you to get to the end it will look designed professionally. Absolutely. And as long as you remember, there are certain basics. For example, if you put in sprinklers or irrigation, if you put in drain lines, um, it's not sexy. It's not pretty. You don't bring your friends over to see, oh, come over and see my new drainage system. Well, some they're, men might do that. Yeah, someone <laughs> may, may, may. But they're not actually, your friends aren't going to be interested. They're not going to come over to see your new sprinkler system. They're not really interested in that. But without it, your landscape is not going to thrive. So there are certain things. It's like building a house. You need a good foundation. You don't put the walls and the roof on before you have a foundation. Well, I likened it to a human body. The first part that you're going to do is the grading, the irrigation drainage. That's the bone structure. Right. And then the soil comes in. That's the muscle. And you've got good right. composted soil. You do your mounds. And then the pretty part are the plants. And then the really pretty part, the makeup, is the lighting. And so, the furniture. And the furniture, right. That's the, furniture. The, that's the really pretty, pretty part. So anyway, it, you build it that way. But having a design, again, there's so many people that are do-it-yourselfers. They'll usually do it once and never attempt it again because their back goes out or something happens. But it's the way to calculate, you know, like, oh, I want to put in a river cobble stream. Well, how, how many yards? They're going to ask you at the rock yard, how many yards do you want? Well... You look at the design. You've got 50 feet by 3 feet wide, and then you've got 150 square feet, and they'll tell you how many yards. So so having a landscape design is the basis um, of a landscape. One of the important things that 
when Roberta and I met at the Home and Landscape shows, and over the years we established a relationship, a good friendship, and we decided to start the podcast Digging Deep because we thought, you know what, we have information, we have knowledge that we can impart to homeowners the things that people might not even ask. And one of the things that I love that when we were asked to do this talk was we rarely get, we've got a website and we're asking people to send us questions, but we don't always get the actual questions and this is a perfect opportunity. I'm sure there's some of you out there that may actually have a problem and a question that you want answered. So at this point, if there are some questions, it would be really, really nice if you raise your hand. We might even have an answer for you. Well, yes. And, and we could... is. If we see your hand, we'll answer the question. But we're going to go on to talk about some just some things that you may or may not know and that might inspire you to ask a question. So, for instance, there's all different levels and prices of a landscape. So let's say you want to put in a patio. The most expensive type of patio you could put in would be a flagstone or flat rock stone patio because it has a concrete base and it gets mortared in. The next step down would be pavers. The next step down would be concrete. The next step down would be decomposed granite or, or crushed gravel. rock. Or, or gravel. gravel. So, but with all of those, there's things that you need to know. Like decomposed granite. Yes, it's easy. It's less expensive. However, it has little bits and particles that get in your shoes. And if you have wood floors, it oh, could scratch. It'll, it'll wipe out your wood floors. It could scratch your floors, and it has to be repacked over time. And then there's crushed rock. There's crushed rock. And that's, you know, but, but it, you're going to put a subsurface down, like a weed barrier or something, because you don't want the rain and all that going into the mud. And then, like I said, there's all these different levels. So if your budget is, is let's say you have a budget of 10000 5,000 these days is not going to get you much, I'll just tell you, unless you have a little patio. Right. But Probably um, a plant, a pot, and maybe a little bit of... Yeah, maybe some curtains and yeah. stuff like that. But, you know, for 10,000, let's say that's your budget, you might consider having a decomposed granite um, patio. And instead of having a pergola, you have shade sails. And then instead of having a waterfall, you buy a nice little water feature that you could plug in for three, dollars $400. And then some plants. And you know what? You've created something beautiful. And I'm not talking about the irrigation and the soil, but that's what you could do. You could also spend $150,000 doing right. it all in stone. Absolutely. And we talk about there, anytime you do something custom, you have to understand it's going to cost a lot of money because of the labor and the effort. But anytime you can do um, a uh, already prefab. So, for example... As you're walking around the show, one of the things that's really nice, if you've thought to yourself, I'd love to do an outdoor kitchen, you can build a custom outdoor kitchen. And the range can be anywhere from $5,000 up to $20,000. Or more. Or more. Yeah. Or you can, as you're wandering around, you'll notice some of the places here offer prefabricated outdoor kitchens with islands and granite tops and everything, which are appreciably less expensive. Are they less quality? No, they're just prefabricated, well, so they're easier to be able to install. Well, wait a minute. So people that are barbecue aficionados, all right, you could spend $6,000 for a barbecue. You yes. could spend $15,000. 15000 So, yes, barbecue. there is a quality difference. But right. is it going to turn out a better steak? Probably not. Probably not. You know, that's all about the timing and how long you're leaving it on the grill. But anyway, there's um, so there are some great prefab kitchens here. 
What I've done in my garden, which is down at the end there, is I did the basic. I've got a really nice grill that's also a smoker. And then I went to Ikea and I bought a stainless steel cart. And so if you don't have that much room in your yard, what, what do you need? You need a surface to put your food on and prep, and then you need to barbecue. Now, if you want to get fancier, you can get a longer cart, put some bar stools on the other side, and then you have a bar as well. But you see, you could build. You, it doesn't take a fortune to build or transform your landscape. It's like a vegetable garden, and these are some things to think about. A lot of people say, I would love to do raised planters for vegetables. And that's great, but a cost-cutting savings is, and one of the biggest mistakes people make, my wife did that before I met her, is she built her vegetable garden out of pressure-treated wood, which is infused with arsenic. So you're building a vegetable garden to grow your own vegetables. Organic then, vegetables. Right, organic vegetables. And then you're poisoning yourself with arsenic. Or the best one is the railroad, railroad ties, ties. <laughs> with creosote, which causes cancer. Yeah. So a lot of my clients will say, well, we're thinking of these raised vegetable gardens. Um, and yes, it's a great idea. You don't have to bend. But you can go to an animal supply place like Tractor Supply and buy a horse trough. Or a sheep trough. Or a sheep trough. And you know what? Amazon sells them and they'll deliver it. Right. <laughs> and they're like, for example, there's one that's eight foot long, two foot high, two, three foot wide that runs $150. You can't build it for that cost. And, and, they're, of, and they're galvanized. Yes, they're galvanized. They're outdoor. You, you need to drill the bottom to drain them. But you know what? You could use a metal spray paint. Absolutely. So they don't have to look like sheep or horse troughs. You know, that you could, I've seen them painted a pretty yellow color, and the woman painted flowers on it. I mean, this is a cheap and easy material that is, will never break down. Right, you use direct-to-metal paint. And so it's, and people say, well, don't they heat up? By the time you add the soil and you also add the irrigation, irrigation. you don't have to worry about it. One of the benefits is snails and slugs can't crawl up it because it gets too hot. They're metal, it gets too hot, and they can't crawl up the side. Uh -huh. So, I mean, there are ways. So, as I said, when my clients say to me, we want to raise vegetable garden, but we're on a budget, it's like, absolutely, horse trough is the best way. You travel through Napa now, and some of the most wonderful wineries are using the they're, horse trough. They're troughs. using those as well. So, again, it's a cost-cutting. Roberta was talking about an overhead and shade sales. Umbrellas are a really wonderful solution also. But the problem is, is that a lot of people say, well, um, I don't like the big stands and they're hard to move around. But if you're building your patio or you're doing a seat wall, you can actually sink a sleeve. It's a metal pipe into the seat wall. Right. And, and on barbecues, too, you'll see a hole. Right. So you could put the pole into your barbecue. And then while you're cooking, you have you have shade. So right. It's the same concept as the um, what they call the child invisible fences. Exactly. That you could roll, you, you put around the pool, and then when the kids are old enough, you pick them up and roll them out, and you just got these holes, and they have caps for them. But anyway, there's all these different solutions, but we are close to time. So if there's questions, and we're going to give you the, I'm, we're going to hand you this so you can ask your question. Okay, my question is, that all these houses are with the um, water resistant or the drought tolerant. Yeah, the drought tolerant landscapes are using rocks. And I was thinking about doing that in my front yard. And my neighbor goes, oh, it's going to heat up your house because all those rocks heat up in the summer. And it's really going to increase your cooling inside your house. Okay. How do you address that? Okay, first of all, a drought tolerant landscape does, that, does not mean 
covering every surface with rock, okay? You're gonna plant trees, and there's so, I mean, we live in a perfect place for all these varieties of drought-resistant plants. But when I use rock, I use lava rock, which is very porous and very light. And no, it doesn't, the rock is on top of weed barrier. Under the weed barrier is your soil with the drip irrigation, and that's all cushioned and nice and cool. So the rock actually is like a mulch, keeping the heat out. And you can do a combination, like uh, right now I'm doing my front yard and I didn't, and it's a southern exposure. Even though I've got a really nice shade tree, I, that, I ran into exactly the same thing. The last thing I wanted to do was throw rock out there. I happen to like the look of some of the, the different size river rocks. So what I'm doing is I'm using the rock around the perimeter for drainage and for accent, and then I'm using the mulch around the planting with a lot of drought-tolerant ground covers. So it's not wall-to-wall -wall rock. You can do a dry creek bed going through your yard that will really accent it so it breaks it up. Anything that you can break up the expanse um, would be nice. And, and that's a really good question. What you don't want to do is you don't want it to look like wall-to-wall -wall right. rock. And, and um, when you do a river cobble and even the lava rock, you're not increasing the heat. Nope. And, and people say, well, I've seen river cobble around my full-grown tree, my oaks and this. Isn't it too hot and too heavy? No. It's got a canopy that keeps it shaded. And these full-grown trees, their root systems are massive, and they're not right on the surface unless they were planted in grass And the other slope. important thing is, used to be in the old days, people would put black plastic underneath the rock. That is the worst thing you can do, no. because what that would do is it literally would suffocate the soil, right. and you'd basically kill a lot of the, the good stuff in the soil. So nowadays, they have what's called landscape fabric, which it's actually, permeable. it's permeable, it breathes. Water goes through it, air goes through it. So again, there are misconceptions of what people, and what I try to tell people is use materials that are more indigenous to the area. I mean, you know, you go buy homes where you have white rock, you know, that may be nice in we're Florida. In, we're in Palm Springs. We're in Palm Springs, exactly. If you use material that's more indigenous to the area, like big boulders, they come from Folsom, Folsom Fieldstone. It's indigenous. It looks nice. And it, it looks, it looks really, really nice. Other questions? Any other? Yes. Have you got any thoughts on the use of uh, rainwater harvesting systems for landscape irrigation? I, I can answer that. I'm sure you can as well. So... For five years, I did the new build for Habitat for Humanity, and we built LEED certified homes, which is the highest in energy and efficiency. And to get LEED points, we were always searching for ways to do that. So rain harvesting was an idea, and the, the, here's the problem. Because we only get rain at one time a year in the winter, the storage capacity that you have to have is massive. So with one of my clients, we put in she has a 25-foot square garden, and we put in an 18,000-gallon tank underneath that. Her house is massive, and all the water we collect in that tank, which was $20,000, is only enough to water that garden. So if we were living in the Midwest and we had rain throughout the season, rain harvesting works, or else it's too expensive. But for all, I mean... Go ahead and capture what you can. But what we did for the lead point is most people, their gutters are attached to drains. The drains go all the way to the sidewalk, pop up over the sidewalk, and then it goes into the gutter. We stop them midway in the landscape so the water can actually penetrate into your soil and not get all moldy and full of algae on the sidewalk. So 
Rain harvesting is a great idea, but in our area, it's it's a lot of money, and you're not going to get the bang for your buck. It just won't go that far because you're going to run out of water. I will say that in in larger pieces of property that we've worked on, you know, like if people that have two, three, up to twenty acres, sometimes that works in terms of you take all of the drainage from the downspouts, you take all the drainage, and you actually take it to a holding pond, and they can use that. Because especially if it, you know, you have like clay soil and you can also use some bentonite on the bottom and you use that holding that dry creek bed, which is no longer dry anymore. And you can actually put a pump and use that, but a pump and a filter, and I mean, a fil- this, right. this, you know, it t- it'll clog it, your irrigation She's absolutely system. right. It tends to get expensive, but if you've got a lot of acreage and you've got a water si- system that, that is very expensive, you can think about that, and that can be something that you can transition into it. So, yeah, I have one client that actually uses the water from his washing machine, that it's, it's hooked up, and they act, they've got a teeny little front yard, and every time they do the wash, they use special soap. And, and, and that's, that's gray water. That's gray that's, water. That's a gray water system, and that's, that's a good system as well. And, of course, all your soap has to be biodegradable. Exactly. You know, and there can be no grease, nothing like that going in. So, but that's a gray water system, and that would probably be better um, than investing the thousands of dollars into the storage unit unless you do have a, a pond or you're gravity fed right, right. Um, if you want to recycle the water. That's a good question. Any any other questions? You were talking about gray water, and I was that was going to be my question. I was wondering if either of you designed landscapes taking into account gray water systems. With, with or without? I'm with. Sorry. Oh. I, I have well, a house that I have two um, laundry to landscape that I want to put in and also two showers. And I'm thinking about designing the landscape because I want to use that water. Mm-hmm. Yes, well you, you can. can. There are gray water systems. Oh, yeah. There's also, I mean, in the larger context, El Dorado Hills, Serrano, they're all on gray water. And we have to use purple pipe, yes. which we would have to use. You'll have to use as well because it's not potable. But, yes, there are systems for that. I have clients that have their, um, their showers draining, and then it goes across. Very simply, they're not using it to wash dishes. They're just using it to irrigate their landscape. Which makes a lot of sense, and it's a great idea. Um, and again, it's, you know, as she was saying, El Dorado Hills, Serrano, it's all on gray water systems. So it's a great idea. Anything that you can start thinking about, because, you know, there used to be water was abundant, and we never thought about it. But now it's getting to a point where you're paying through the nose for for the use of water. So anytime you can you can use utilize what you already have. We also have a really good recommendation for a ground cover. A lot of people like the look of lawn. You know, it's green, it's beautiful. But there is now being grown a ground cover, and we're recommending it. It's called Carapia. And it's it's a lawn actually. It's a it sod. It's like a lawn. Yeah, yeah they, you actually buy it as sod. They roll it out. That once it's installed. Um, and it, once it's established, you water it once, twice a week at the most. It takes 60% less water, and it's a broadleaf, kind of like the old dichondra, except it's not dichondra. And if you don't mow it, it gets um, little white flowers that actually the bees love, and it can pollinate your fruit trees. So um, because this is the way the industry works, as things change and trends happen and droughts happen, the industry have they have to accommodate what's going on. So several years ago, I was at Pottery World, and uh, this man said to me, "Oh, I heard you're a landscape designer. I own a sod farm." I said, "No, no, no. I'm into drought tolerant landscapes." He said, "No, no, wait, wait, wait." 
And this was Ed Zuckerman who owns um, Delta Bluegrass, and they're one of the people that have that that that's I think the only place you can get Carapia. I mean, you can buy it through Green Acres from from the sod farm, but they are even ahead of us because that's their livelihood, that's their lifestyle. So now they have different types of sod that take 50 and 60 percent less water. And Carapia is spelled with a K, K U R A P I A. The other thing that's really wonderful is, as Roberta was saying, and we see it all the time, is nurseries. There used to be, for example, um, for example, there are certain plants that get very large. And so, what I'll give you a perfect example: Photinia. It is a hedge, and it can get 20 to 30 feet tall. It's, it's the one where you has the red leaves in spring. You see these green bushes, but they're red leaves, so that's right. what Fotinia is. And a lot of people don't want it to be 20 or 30 feet, so they're constantly whacking at it and spending all their time and effort trying to prune it. They only want it five or six feet. So what has happened in our industry is now the nurseries are developing hybrids. So there is a new kind of photinia that maxes out at six feet, five or six feet. Right. And so um, so what was what we had available to us 15 years ago, now we have so much more in the lighting. We're no longer using incandescent. We use LED. So our lights draw 2.5 watts instead of each fixture, 20 watts. Right. We used to have to have these massive transformers to to run the, the lighting, and now, it, you're, and then those bistro lights, each bulb is drawing half a watt. Right. And so all this has changed, and, and if you, I tell my clients this, does it cost money? Yes, but it, anything that you do that's sustainable is going to cost money up front, and it's going to save you money over the long run. And the one thing that, that just still amazes me is, I because I'm redoing my yard, um, one of the things, the new irrigation timers that you put your irrigation, your sprinklers on. They're it's now app. Yes, they're now <laughs> tied to the internet. They're called HydraWise. Nice. And so what this is kind of amazing. Um, you put in the, the timer, it's, it's tied into your phone. And let's say, for example, you set the clock, um, how often it waters. So you've got it watering Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and it waters each station, waters for say 10 minutes. Well. Now it's tied into the internet, so like with mine, this just kind of blows me away. Um, when it's raining, it automatically, I don't have to go out there and shut off the thing. It automatically, because it knows it's raining, and, it, and they read the internet, it shuts off automatically. When it's 105 degrees out, and I have mine set for, say, 10 minutes a station or 15 minutes a station, if... The internet says that the next day or that day it's going to be 105 degrees. It automatically ups the amount of time that it waters. So instead of 10 minutes, it'll up, up it to 12 or 15 minutes. And then when the temperatures go down, it automatically goes back yeah. down. And are they more expensive? Absolutely. Absolutely. They are. But just think of how many times you have to walk out and change your clock. And, Absolutely. Or, or forget to change your clock. So, and... Actually, these days, if you build a new house, you're required to put that in. And the so. city of Sacramento is eventually going to make that a requirement. It is now. It is. It is now. <laughs> and the thing that's so amazing is... Oh, for new build. Yes, Only for new build. I, I know Roberta runs into it, and so do we. Where your clients put in a brand new landscape, they don't know how to change the clock. They don't have the new system. And then they call you six months later and the plants are either dying or they're drowned they, or they're drowned or and, you just, and you ask them well haven't you 
didn't the contractor tell you to change the clock? Some of the contractors don't. And so you're they're still watering three times a day. You go out there and you look at it and it looks like a bog because it's being watered three times a day for the last six months. Here's the other thing I love about these new apps. You could take a picture of the sections of your landscape that are corresponding to the valves. So if you want your garden to come on twice daily for 10 minutes, you look at your app and there's a picture of your garden. So anyway, they've made it very easy. I think we might be running out of time. I think we are too. I'm Michael Glassman. I'm Roberta Walker. And thank you for joining us for Digging Deep.